Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is dedicated in loving memory of Ruth Jerome, Alea Shalom, Leinui Nishmat, Ruth Bat Farida, sponsored by her son Joey Jerome. Breakfast today is dedicated in honor of the Kahal, sponsored by Michael Shemtov. The cold brew is dedicated in loving memory and Leinui Nishmat Moshe Ben Vida, sponsored by Ralph D. Batesh. This is not the, uh, the uh, uncloaking of the anonymous cold brew donator. Uh, rather, this is another cold brew donator, Rabotai. And as well, we have... Also the anonymous cold brew. The, uh, as well, on top of that, we have the donation of the cold brew, which is anonymous, and, and the name is Moshe Mordechai Ben Rivka. Okay. Uh, the Gemara tells us a very interesting line. <clears throat> it says as follows. Amar Acha. Uh, greater and more dear is the discussion or the speakings of the servants of the house of our forefathers than the Torah of the great-grandchildren of the rabbis even that were the descendants of those avot. What does that mean? When Avraham Avinu <coughs> sends Eliezer to go find <coughs> a wife, excuse me, for his daughter, for his, uh, for his son, he gets to this place and we hear the whole dinya. He starts in the beginning and he told me this and he told me that. And then he goes back and he says it again. For two or three pages in the Torah, Eliezer is giving this whole story. And uh, so we have halachot uh, when it comes later on to certain halachot with regards to Tumah we learn everything we learn out of one extra letter or one extra word Okay, so we're learning out of one word or one letter a whole set of halachot and then it comes to Eliezer, the Torah doesn't, is not worried to spend pages and pages and pages of him talking and talking and talking. Wonderful is the sikha, the idle chatter of the servants of the Beit Avot. And I thought to myself, what a wonderful lesson we have over here. We have quoted many times the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. The Mishnah says, Yeheh Beitcha Beit Va'ad L'Chachamim. What does betcha bet vaad mean? Your house should be a house of gathering. The gathering of chachamim. Gather the chachamim there. It doesn't say yehe betcha bet midrash la chachamim. Your house should be a place where the chachamim study. Or yehe betcha bet shiurim la chachamim. Your house should be a place where the wise people give shiure Torah. It says it should be a gathering place. Because many times, oftentimes, when a Talmud Chacham is not necessarily speaking words of Torah, they're just going through their day-to-day, the very fact that you're witnessing the humble or the simple life uh, lessons of a Talmud Chacham without them trying to teach you something profound is already something which is such a life lesson that it could be even more than a great shiur. I'll give you an example of something uh, uh, along these lines. Was I, when I was in yeshiva, I, I, in Kolel, I was a student of Rav Berkowitz, of my, uh, of my rabbi. And I noticed when we had the privilege of spending time with him, when we started learning in the Kolel together, it was a very small place. There was maybe 15 guys there. So we each had a lot of time together with him. And he's a tremendous sadiq and a uh, very um, worked out person. 
So I one time, uh, I spent lunch with him, and I paid attention, what is he eating? I noticed that he had a peanut butter sandwich, cut diagonally, all right, into two triangles. I noticed he had a little Tupperware with a little a salad, maybe tomatoes and, and, uh, and, and cucumbers. He had one banana, he had a toothbrush to brush his teeth after the meal, and a flask of hot water. This was his lunch. Okay. A little while later, I have to speak to him. I make an appointment. He says, Fadal, come. Why don't we speak while, uh, while I'm having lunch? An extra few minutes. His time is so precious. They make three-minute appointments with him. Okay? So I go, to this, I go to the office, and I sit down. I see he's eating lunch. What's he eating? One, two, one peanut butter sandwich sliced in the diagonal. One little Tupperware of uh, cucumbers and tomatoes. One thing of banana. Toothbrush and the hot water. Two times, three times, four times. Eventually I came to my rabbi. I was like, I've sat with you already a bunch of times. And every time I see you sitting here eating all the same lunch. Is there some sort of Kabbalistic reason why you're eating the peanut? I don't know, is peanut butter, gematria, yirat shamayim? What is going on over here? And he said to me, what do you mean? I worked out what my body needs. And that's what I eat every day. He wasn't trying to teach me. It was me coming to ask him some other issue. But I witnessed someone over whom the idea of food doesn't, it doesn't capture his imagination. It's not ruling over him. I sometimes witness people, you go to a restaurant and there's a big menu, and the guy is sitting there and he's landlocked, he's, he's landlocked with FOMO. He open up the it takes him 10 minutes to order. And the waiter three times has to say, sir, should I come back a little bit later? Right? And the guy's like, well, give me the thing. Put this sauce on the side. No, put it on the middle. Can I also have the other? And he's literally, you could see, the person is enslaved by his desire for food. Now, that doesn't mean a person can't enjoy food. But when you're so taken by food that it takes you a half hour to order something off the menu, and you, you know, and you need to, the guy needs to come back three times, right? That's maybe a little bit, a little bit excessive. So what happens when a person is around the great people is they witness, they start to witness the patterns of behavior. And I often think to myself that aside from the lessons that a great person needs to communicate, sometimes when you're in the presence of someone who's a big tami chacham, or is a big sadiq, or is a tremendous role model, it's things that if you ask them to give you advice, he wouldn't even think about. I sat with my rabbi many, many times, and he never gave a shiur about his lunch. In fact, if it gets back to him, I'm talking about his lunch, he's going to kill me. But the point is, Rabotai, uh, so nobody, whoever's listening to this, don't tell my Rebbe. But the point is, Rabotai, you witness these little tiny things, and all of a sudden you start to, to see the greatest lessons that a person can experience in the humility of a person, in the, uh, in the way that their midot are worked out, the things that they hold their mouth for, the things that they open their mouth for, the type of foods that they eat, the way that they dress, the way that they think, the way that they comport themselves. Rav Moshe Feinstein, I love always talking about the telling the story, he never went around collecting money. He was one of the gedolei ador. He didn't feel that he should go around with his hand out. He didn't feel that that was kavod. One day, he comes to a wedding. This guy sees him standing there. He walks up to him, he puts a dollar in the Rav Moshe's hand. Rav Moshe is walking around the hall, collecting money. So one of his students said, Rabbi, in all my years, I've never seen you collect money. He says, you're absolutely right. He said, but this guy came and he put money in my hand, not realizing that, I wasn't the, that I'm the gadol ador. He thought maybe I was just here collecting some money for myself or for my family. 
Once the guy is going to find out that he walked up to one of the great rabbis of our generation, maybe the biggest, and shoved a dollar in his hand, uh, may, maybe, maybe he'll be humiliated. So I decided to break my custom so that he'll think, oh, look, oh, Baruch Hashem, he's actually collecting for something. You see, that's a sensitivity that only a great person has. And unless you were standing there at that time and noticed it, Rabotai, you wouldn't have learned that tremendous lesson of sensitivity to someone. This is what it means when it says, Let your house be a house of gathering for Chachamim. Even if all the Chacham did in your house is eat lunch. Did you see how he ate lunch? Did you see what he ate? Did you see how he ate? Did you see what he did before, after? What Hanhaga? What ways did he approach it? Okay? I remember seeing once I was sitting at the house of someone who was a tremendous tzaddik. And I noticed that while he was eating on Shabbat dinner, every time he put the fork to his mouth, he was like mumbling something. So I tried to listen, I tried to listen. So finally, I listened in closely. And he said, L'chvod Shabbat Kodesh. Over the night I realized this rabbi didn't take many bites of his dinner. I don't remember if I counted exactly. Maybe it was 20 bites. But every single morsel of food that came into his mouth throughout the duration of Shabbat, he dedicated to the honor of Shabbat. He didn't make a big deal. It wasn't L'chavod Shabbat Kodesh. Amen. None of that. It wasn't L'shem Yichud Kodesh. He didn't even say anything. Until I leaned forward, until I tried to catch it. And you know, and you notice these things about the greatest of people. So I know that everybody knows that the Mishnah and Avot says that a person has an obligation to acquire for themselves a rabbi. Right? That's the halakha. We know the, the, the Mishnah says, right? Make for yourself a rabbi. But some of the things I think that people don't often realize is that the making for yourself of a rabbi is not only going to his classes. Doesn't only mean his words of Torah. It means, how does he deal in business? When he, when he needs to buy an etrog, what is he saying to the guy behind the, ca- behind the counter? How does, he, how does he communicate? Does he tell the guy, what are you doing? You're ripping me off. Does he use words? Or does he speak very, very carefully, very precisely? So therefore, we go back to the words of the Gemara. Greater is the speech of a slave of Aharon, of Avraham. He's the slave, the servant of Avraham. Greater even than many of the words of the Chachamim of the later generations because that servant will have picked up the speech patterns, the thought patterns, the interaction that Avraham Avinu had with all of the people around him. Rabotai, I just want to share with you one thing that I, that I remember and with that we'll close. I remember many, 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 many years ago Chacham Uvadia came to my house. He used to eat lunch. Whenever he would come to deal, he would eat a meal at our home. He was also my sandak, okay? One day, he comes to our house for lunch, and my mother is bringing the food from the kitchen to the table. And she, on the way, she stepped funny and she twisted her ankle. So she hobbled a little bit. She's limping a little bit. He said, Giveret, you know, Rabbanit, what's wrong with your foot? She says, oh, I twisted my ankle. I hurt my, I hurt my ankle. Okay. Ten years later, we go to Israel, and we're at a bar mitzvah. Ten years later, at a bar mitzvah. We walk into the bar mitzvah, there's lots of people gathered around. This is when Chamovadia had the little shul downstairs in the great synagogue. Okay? We walk in, he's surrounded by people, people are this, people are that. 
He heard my mother and I were talking. He heard my mother's voice. He, he could barely see. People think that he wore the sunglasses because he was gangster. He wouldn't wear the, you know, it wasn't a fashion statement. The eyes, his eyes were very sensitive to the light. Okay? He heard my mother speaking. He says, Rabbi Anit Farhi. He calls my mother out. He says, how's your foot? Ten years after that, he performed a wedding for someone in my family. And when my mother walked up to the chuppah, he said, Ah, Baruch Hashem, I see that your foot is better. <coughs> 20 years. She didn't break it in a skiing accident. She didn't have a, a splint on it. She didn't have a, a whole leg cast. She twisted her ankle from the kitchen to the dining room table. When he passed, so I had the occasion, I was at a bar mitzvah of a dear friend who actually happens to be here today. It was at Miguel Abadi's bar mitzvah. And I see Cham David Yosef, it was towards the end uh, of the year. So I walked up to him and I said, I'm sure all throughout this time, everybody's been telling you amazing things about your father. I said, and I also want to just be Menachem, to come for you, to tell you again, to remind you how special your father was. And I told him over this story. And I said to him, I said, and you know what to me is very, very special? is not that he, had, that he remembered, I said. Because he remembered everything, he had a photographic memory. I said it was that he cared enough to be able to tell my mother that he remembered. He had tears in his eyes, Ham David, and he said to me, you know what, you're so right. People think my father remembered everything. He could not remember what he ate yesterday for lunch. Because it wasn't important enough for him to file away, so he didn't waste a single brain cell on something that was unimportant. He said if he remembered for 10 years, for 20 years, that was a conscious decision to hold on to that bit of information, to have it maybe take up a little bit of space instead of something else incredibly important. That was something that was very important for him to remember. Could you imagine such a thing? To hold on to that information for such a long time, Rabotai. Unbelievable. This is the way of the great people. But the funniest thing is, that's not something you hear in the Shi'ur. Rav Aaron Cutler, when he came to this country, he was a young, he was very young, and he was building Torah anew. He lived in Borough Park, and he would go back and forth to the, the yeshiva in Lakewood. One day, he's walking in Borough Park, and he sees a young man whose name is Usher. Usher is a man whose um, who's whole family, wife and children, wiped out by the Nazis, Yemach Shemam. He's walking through the streets of Borough Park dejected. The rabbi, every time he saw him, he would try and lift his spirits. And every time, he, he left a little bit happier. But one time, he's walking, the rabbi tries, nothing he says cracks a smile, nothing he says lifts the guy's spirits. And, and uh, the rabbi realizes the guy has no hope anymore. He, he feels like there's no point even living. Everything he loved is dead. The rabbi says to him, he grabs him by the shoulders and he shakes him. He says, Usher, you're going to find someone and get remarried. He says, and you're going to have a daughter. And when she gets married, send me an invitation. And you and I are going to dance together at her wedding. The man, all of a sudden, he's shaken by that. The idea that he could have a future uh, woke him up. And he's, his, his face is suffused with the tears of gratitude, of warmth for Rabbi Aaron Cutler. He finds a wife. He has, like Rav Aharon's Beracha, a baby girl, a baby daughter. Rav Aaron, on the, when the child is 10 years old, passes away. And the guy says to himself, Hazik, you know, I wish Rav Aaron could have seen his Beracha be fulfilled. 10 years later, the child is 20 years old, he makes the wedding. 
And he's thinking at the wedding how beautiful it is. He says to his wife, who would have believed that this could ever be possible? And look, here we are celebrating the beginning of a new generation. Unbelievable. And he thinks in his head, I wish Rabbi Aaron was here to give a beracha, to remind. Anyway, they're dancing, dancing, dancing. All of a sudden, there's a commotion. And he looks over, trying to see through the crowd why everyone's... And all of a sudden, the crowd opens up. And who walks in? Rav Shneir Cutler, the Rosh Hashiva of the Yeshiva of Lakewood. Gaon Olam. Two hours away, drive from Lakewood. He dances with them in the middle, very excited. Da, 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 and the rabbi, he's very, very pleased. He says to him, Rabbi, you know, I didn't, we, you and I were not very close. You ready? You, in Lakewood, you grew up in Lakewood. You, you didn't really know who I was. I'm so pleased. I'm so honored. But why did you drive all the way here? Listen to this, Rabbi He says, when my father passed away, he was carrying the weight of the Jewish world in America on his shoulders. And he called me in to tell me all the things that I needed to do that he was putting me in charge of for the next generation of Jewish people. He says, and then he told me I have one more thing. And what did he share with me? He said, there's a Jew in Borough Park and his name is Usher. And I promised him I would dance at his daughter's wedding. Look out for the invitation. Remember, remember. And I need you to go and dance in my place. And Roshnei says, so here I am. Here's a guy on his deathbed. He's on his deathbed. And what is he remembering when he has the world on his shoulders and he's giving over his last will and testament to his son how to save the Jews, the Jewry of America? He says, Usher, go to the, you need to go to the wedding. Rabotai, that's what it means. Gidola, greater is the sikha, the, the chatter of Avde Avot. You grew up in the presence of greatness. You saw things that other people could only dream of seeing. May we be zocheh one day that they should say about us stories like these. May our children and the ones that come in contact with us learn from the, the, the way that we role model ourselves how to be able to be the very best Jews that we can be. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi